Inspired By, a podcast brought to you by Six. Hello, I'm Hannah Wise, and this is Inspired By. In this podcast series, I invite experts from Six and other representatives from the Financial Centre to talk about their inspirations. My guest today is Sam Sundera, Head Future Business in the Financial Information Business Unit of Six. He explains how Jeff Bezos looks at risk and why the Amazon business model could be a blueprint for Six. And he's joining us today from San Francisco. Welcome, Sam. Hi, Anna. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, I'm really, I have very much enjoyed researching your inspiration for today's podcast. He's a man who isn't far from where you are now. Uh, his financial worth has far exceeded anyone else's on the planet. So I guess that's inspirational for some people. But I also know for you, he's the vision behind one of the most successful tech companies globally and is known as much for his temper as he is for his laughter, which is something I didn't realize was so polarizing. And I hope we do get an opportunity to talk about that later. But Sam, why have you chosen uh, Jeff Bezos? Um, really, for me, it's his it's his view on business, right? And the way he the way he looks at risk, which I think is very different to to most business leaders. And and really, for me, um, I didn't have any interest in in Jeff Bezos particularly uh, for many years as as the kind of Amazon business grew. It was only when I started to study him on a case study at, uh, on my Stanford postgrad, which I really understood how he thought and and how they've grown their business and and that's what really um really got me interested in in uh in jeff bezos and and what did you think of him back then i mean when was this um so you know i've always or as i said i've always admired the the amazon business and i and I, you know and i've seen it grow and but for me it, it just started as a as a as a place to to buy books right and and then they sort of expanded into into other products and services. And I didn't realize how much thought actually went into that um, until we until I started to study it and really understand how he's managed to grow and scale his business, how he really thinks about customers and how that that is pervasive throughout the organization. So so everyone is everyone is aligned within the organization. So it, it really got me fascinated with um with how he thinks about that and uh, how he applies that to to his daily business and growing his business and 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 that's what led me to really really learn more about him and learn more about about scaling businesses what he does does that inspire you in your work i mean what can you just tell me a bit about what you actually do what does head future business mean <laughs> Well, that, that's a question I'm always asked, and um, so really, it's, it it was we identified a gap in our organisation, and the gap was really how do we connect sales, customers, partners, content, and the data data product data factory all together. So we're really cohesive. So the communication is there between the organisation. We're really thinking about our customers and their customers, and really. How do we get five steps ahead of, ahead of them? You know, because I think you always find yourself in in a in a in a well established organization like ours. We're we're very comfortable. We have a we have a very solid customer base globally, and um, you know, you supporting the customers with their with their issues and their problems on a daily basis, and you and you're supplying data and services to meet those issues. But really, your customers are faced with 
with lots of challenges in business, right? Particularly capital markets customers. So how do we stay ahead of that and make sure we're ready for that? And that's something that, that Amazon are very good at doing and particularly Jeff's focus is, is really focused on customers, you know, customers first and, and really what problem are we solving for, for the customers, not customers are considered an, as an afterthought after they build a new product they're very much integrated in their process so they have this they have this he has this philosophy of of taking lots of lots of risk and lots of small bets to really understand what works with customers and what they actually need versus what, what versus what they actually say they need and and that's something that, that i found really interesting uh and um you know that's something i want to apply to to uh, our business at, at six and so he's very he's very into moving into kind of the adjacent space, you know. So he started with books, and then he um, moved into various other things, including toys, for example. And, and that was yeah. actually quite unsuccessful for them for a long yeah. time. I know they still right. sell toys, but it was very very diff difficult for them to kind of crack that market. So. Right. How is Six doing that? How are you kind of moving into spaces adjacent to you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And um, adjacency is really interesting, right? Adjacent spaces and adjacent markets. And and you're right, the toy business was unsuccessful. But if you think through, if you think through what they actually did, you know, they were very successful at selling books, and they wanted to expand. And um, you know. Toys was toys was logical because they were selling a lot of toys through their system. So, however, what they realized when they when they moved into toys was that actually it was very seasonal. And so they were they were using up lots of warehouse capacity uh, and um, these toys were, weren't actually moving through like they moved needed to move product through on a daily basis. So that's a successful failure because what they learned was uh, actually. Um, you know, the logistical capability was really valuable. And um, so instead of selling and holding toys themselves, they focused on goods, goods that they would hold and move through very, very quickly. That's why not everything is held within the Amazon uh, delivery centers and the warehousing. You know, another big one that, that we all know of is AWS, Amazon Web Services. And, you know, this is all the technology they had to build for themselves uh and um you know they've created a whole product line out of it but it was really it was really core to their business that they had to build this this hyperscaling big compute um environment so they could handle all of this data they were processing i mean millions and millions and hundreds of millions of transactions every single year um just i wanted to pick up on you know some of the kind of growth areas for six you know what can six build on mm -hmm. in its business well, six, I mean, six is a really super interesting company. I've been with them for 11 years and, um, it's, you know, they're, they're a fascinating business. So they have, they have three core divisions. One's the exchange, um, business and, uh, now includes the Spanish stock exchange. We have the transactional business, which is all the credit cards, the infrastructure in, in, in Switzerland running, uh, the ATM machines, um, and processing, uh, debit card transactions. Then we have the data business, uh, which is the bit that I work in. Um, in terms of evolution, we're really in, we're really in what we call the fourth industrial revolution. And that fourth industrial revolution is really being driven by data, right? So, mm -hmm. so if you read anything about data, it's data is the new gold. Data is the new oil, and it and it really is because <laughs> if you think about how capital markets and banking evolve, 
they only evolve because technology is evolving and technology only evolves because the amount of data that we have access to is evolving. And so, you know, traditionally capital markets has grown through this, this what we call market data, which is data that's generated from exchanges. And this is the stuff you see flying across the, 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 the traders' screens, right? The price, the price of Apple or the price of HP or whatever it might be. And then there's a whole, whole heap of other data that sits behind that, that you would drill into. But actually, you know, that's only 0.5% of the, the, the data on this planet. The other 99.5% is what we call alternative data. And that's, that could be, that could be data from satellites. It could be data from mobile phones. It could be click throughs. It could be Twitter data. It could be GPS information. It could be data from company filings. And all of that is now available because we now have the technology to process it all. You know, when I was at, when I was at university, we were studying AI and machine learning, and, and this is all concepts that they developed in the 60s. But now we have cloud computing and these big compute environments and quantum computing is now a real thing um, uh, or about to be a real thing. Then, um, you know, you have the infrastructure and the technology to have have AI and machine learning and these new technologies actually work for your business. And so you know, how you, is it actually you, working for six? You know what we're what we're doing is now we're leveraging all of these technologies because what we're what we're very rich at as a business is having lots of data. So how can we make that data available to our clients? How can we leverage all of that data so it drives our business forward? And 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 our customers are also looking at that in the same way. They have they have a ton of data, all the internal transactional data, their customer data, their holdings data. How can they best use that um, to help drive? Um, more uh, more customer engagement to make uh, it more efficient for customers and to sell more products to customers and, and make the whole experience better. So we're all looking at the big data that we have and have access to and sit on and that's available in order to drive our business forward. And um, for CX, we're looking at all of those things. We have a ton of data within our business. So how does that help us to, to, to grow? And things are, areas are um, cloud, um, areas are alternative data, areas are ESG, and ESG is a, a real nascent market and something that everyone's talking about now. So but no one really understands what, what ESG is. They understand what ENS and G means, but there's impact investing, there's sustainability. Does it mean climate to you? Does it mean diversity? Does it mean discrimination? And what does it actually mean? So it's a hugely nascent area. It's a significant opportunity um, for, um, for for data owners and data aggregators to really figure out what 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 is material and what isn't. So we're looking at a number so of areas you, along these lines. Okay, because could you explain to me then how data would help um, make informed choices mm -hmm. on ESG? Yeah, I mean, I can give you, give you a very simple example. So, you know, the traditional world of ESG is that you have some big um, agencies who create ratings. So what that means is an ESG rating on a company. So they, they, they do a whole bunch of research. Uh, they look at all the published material on a company, the corporate corporate filings, uh, the research reports. And, and from that, um, and the, the carbon issuing uh, statements, all that kind of good stuff. And then from that, they create uh, scores. And these scores take a long time in, in, in formulation and research. But actually, uh, you know, investors have their own view. So investors like you and me, right? And, those views are, are captured on non-traditional sources like Twitter, for example. So in, in something like Twitter, you get posts of uh, newspapers, you get posts of BBC News or CNN News or whatever it might be. You get links to websites. You also get people's views. 
all of that is very useful, very useful information because things you might not, a company might not necessarily publish in their corporate filings, their corporate and their annual report, their quarterly report, they get captured in a news article, i.e. there was an oil spill or there's some water pollution or they're using child labor, right? And these things don't get captured in the formal corporate announcements, but they are captured in other sources. And um, these things are really valuable sources of data for for ESG decision making. And so, so we now have the technology to capture all this stuff, turn it, take out all the noise, turn it into useful structured insights and, and therefore intelligence, right? And you can't make, you can't use these as a single points of decision making, but they are certainly a data point that you can use to help formulate and structure a decision. So basically the way six is going into alternative data and cloud is similar to the way that Amazon conquered adjacent spaces to build on their existing assets? Um, this, is, this is less adjacent spaces, a space for us. An adjacent space for us would be something like where we're, you know, our core customer base is in financial information is, is asset servicing, right? That's what we, what's what is really workflow. So once, once you hold a, a stock, um, you know, you have to, you have to be able to process that. And, there's many things that affect the holding of that stock. And one of the things is a corporate action. And a corporate action is this this announcement from a company that affects a beneficial shareholder. So it's a significant uh, event or action. And it could be something like a, a rights issue or a share split, right? So we saw Tesla did a share split five, um, one to five um, a, a month or so ago. So that really affects the price and the annual holdings, right? So that's that's typically what we service. But moving into front and middle office, i.e. the trading environment, the product creation, the advisory, the risk uh, part of a of a bank, uh, if we just look at a bank, um, those are adjacent those are adjacent markets for us. If we look at the kind of stuff that we do day to day, our core competency is is data aggregation, right? And data aggregation at scale. I mean, we aggregate thousands and thousands of data sources every single day uh, and deliver those out to our customers. And all that process is pretty much automated. But that whole data factory, as we call it, um, you could offer that. I mean, you could other other companies can leverage what we've done there, and those are the kind of things that are would would represent adjacent um, moving into adjacent spaces for us is leveraging technology that we've built for ourselves, um, uh, so that other other companies can can use what we've built and use the infrastructure that we've built, similar to what Amazon have done with with logistics and cloud. So there are both adjacent markets and adjacent spaces for us, and absolutely that's something that we're thinking about. So let me ask you this then. I mean. Are you as big a risk taker as Bezos? I mean, is six? Um, no, it's very simple answer. I mean, the Swiss culture is, is generally quite risk averse and there's some very big successful Swiss companies. I mean, six is one of those, but it's grown. If you think about where it's, how it's grown over, over 90 years, pretty much grown organically. Um, there's been some acquisitions um, historically, but but um, nothing significant until really um, a change of uh, a group CEO um, and a change of uh, business unit leaders, which is really most in the recent years, which has really transformed the culture of our organization, uh, expanded our horizons. And the appetite for risk is definitely uh Definitely bigger. I mean, I don't think we're we're at a, a, a big risk appetite, but I I don't think um I don't think that's a sensible approach. I think 
you you have to take measured risks you have to take um uh, can can you really say a measured risk <laughs> yeah well i think you can mitigate risk right and then you mitigate risk by by doing the analysis up front and um doing the research up front and also not betting the farm right you're taking you make a small bet on a big opportunity and that and that's how you learn and you can always scale uh once you've started small but if you've gone in big and you've spent a lot of money and and it's not succeeding then that's a lot of money that you've wasted and this comes back to that whole customer philosophy that we talked about at the start of the call if you if you're engaging your customers very early on and even their customers and your partners into your invention and innovation process you're da- immediately d- downsizing your risk you have to look at the return on risk right and and um and and that's what uh, Bezos does very well and he's instilled this culture within his all his all his managers and all the employees within Amazon to think about that and and think about um what the return on risk is and and that's by making lots of small bets on big opportunities so you don't you don't bet you don't bet, bet big on small opportunities or or bet small on small opportunities what are the big opportunities out there where do we have the ability to scale our business um what's unique what can we do uniquely that's 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 amazon and you can apply all of those theories to six um in our business and in capital markets and in in our transactional services um and our data business you can apply all of those theories um so yeah but very very interesting okay i wonder if big tech is really kind of your your next competition i know that um bezos doesn't like to talk about competition but you know whenever you talk about healthcare you're looking at competition coming from big tech and is that a similar situation because of the data that big tech the likes of amazon and other big tech companies have does they does that make them a competitor with you I, I think you've read our strategy report, haven't you, Hannah? Because you're asking all the questions <laughs> off, off, off an internal document that no one is meant to have seen outside of the organisation. But um, clearly, it's um, clearly it's a, a question um, uh, that we've considered, uh, uh, and um, well, I mean, we sort of see them encroaching into our space a little bit. But we also work with them all. You know, the Googles and Microsofts and, and Yahoo's of this world. We do work with them. I mean, they, they tackle. If you look at their strategies, they go for industries that are huge right and there's massive scale um and um you know our industry is financial markets it's capital markets it's 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 big but it's not that big compared to something like healthcare or pharma um so um whilst we we keep an eye on what they're doing um it's other vendors that are sort of building out um delivery capabilities in the middle so between us and uh, us and our customers allowing our suppliers to kind of disintermediate the sort of aggregation space so um i so that our suppliers can go directly to our customers and and that has some value um but really the the data aggregation and the normalization process is still of significant value and that's what we'll continue to add value to and and increases increase our services around that and unique unique data content so whilst in answer to your question we do keep an eye on them we don't see them encroaching into our space uh, any any time soon okay well we're kind of running out of time now but i did kind of want to ask you about the working from home situation i can hear you you have a dog at home right because you're at home <laughs> yeah. i can hear some barking in the, in the background i'm sorry no yeah. no don't apologize at all i mean we're all having to come to terms with this kind of new new normal i know everyone calls it that and you may or may not like that phrase but um when i was reading um about bezos i mean he really rejects this idea of work life balance 
and he rather right. uses this idea of work-life harmony because you know he he really wants people to work hard i mean this van keeps a sleeping bag in his office um yeah. he he's very focused on work um yeah. how do you think he's dealing with um this kind of lockdown situation and and how are you dealing with it uh, I mean, uh, if I had a trillion in the, in the bank, I, I, I wouldn't worry about it, but um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't. Um, so, I mean, I think, um, I think you know, absolutely, you've got to have work-life balance. And there's going to be periods right now, we're in a period where we're working many, many hours and everyone is working all different time zones, um, you know, just to, just to keep up. And um, I know my mornings are call after call after call after call. And I think it's the same for, for many folks. I honestly believe that there has to be a work-life balance. You have to have time with, with your family and your kids and to do to do stuff for yourself. Otherwise, it's very difficult to, to focus and come in objectively uh, to to work every day with, with some clarity of thought and some clarity of mind. And, you know, um, time to read. You know, I've got three books on the go right now. I'm a, I'm a huge reader and um, wow. it's really important to – it's really important to read something else that's not necessarily in your industry or uh, it, I mean, I don't read nonfiction. I don't read nonfiction. Uh, I only read nonfiction, but um, mm -hmm. I think it's really important. And that's that's where you know ideas come from and creativity comes from and that you bring to your organization. So, you know, our management management are really focused on on work life balance. There's they wouldn't ever suggest you bring a sleeping bag to the office they're they're really big on that but they also want they also want you to perform and they want you to be committed and uh, and and I agree with that I mean we have a great culture at six I mean it's really it's really productive it's really it's really energized um and um yeah it's a it's a super place to work which is why I've been here for 11 years and just before I do wrap up I, I want to circle back to something that I said in the beginning and it's about Jeff Bezos's laugh laughter have you have you ever heard him laugh I, you know what? I haven't. Because it's a thing, okay? I right. mean, I, I, reading this book, I I was reading that, for example, of course, his wife was, you know, uh, Mackenzie was saying, you know, how could you not fall in love with him when you hear him laugh? And then right. you hear other stories and people describe it as honking, piercing. And I was thinking, my gosh, what is this laughter? And so I Googled it, by the way, which I encourage everyone to do. And there's all sorts of kind of compilations of him laugh of of him laughing, and I actually find it a, a really a, a wonderful laugh, and I'm amazed it's so polarizing. Um, and it just you know I sat and watched it for ages because I was just laughing along with him. It's contagious, and I and I think that's, I think that's you know quite something that this man who is so focused still has time for laughter. No, that's good. That's good to hear. I'm gonna have to Google that now too. You should. I, I encourage anyone to do, everyone to do that because, you know, listening to people laughing, especially at this time, uh, can only be a good thing. Sam, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining us for this Inspired By episode looking at the uh, inspiration of Jeff Bezos and Amazon. And until next time, stay inspired. And you can hear more about our inspiring leaders by downloading the six podcast series available wherever you get your podcasts.